This is episode 74 with Brad Hurd. This is Crowdfunding Uncut, the place where creators and entrepreneurs come to learn how to launch a successful crowdfunding campaign. Here's your host, Kirsten Ross. Hey guys, I hope you had an amazing Christmas and are enjoying your holidays before we get into 2017. I am currently up in Ottawa visiting family and I only get up here twice a year. I'm actually from Ottawa originally. It's only for you Americans listening, it's about a four hour drive from Toronto And although it's not that much further north, it sure feels a whole lot colder. Um, Some say it's like lake effect or whatever in Toronto that makes it a little bit warmer, but um, it's been really great. I've been taking some time off and uh, really getting some headspace when it comes to setting some goals for 2017. And I hope you guys are having a chance to get some R&R and think about what you're looking to do. Um, Today's interview is... It's a little bit different, but I actually brought Brad on to talk about investment strategy because he successfully created a hedge fund um, and it was really profitable in the 12 months he had his average investor um, getting 106% return on their investment, which is nearly unheard of in hedge fund terms. Um, He calls it the unicorn effect, but um, we didn't, we actually got into a bit of a tangent and when Brad got to 12 months, he realized that running the hedge fund wasn't what he really wanted to do because of he's wearing so many hats in the business. And we're just talking about how when you are running a business, especially in the startup phase of crowdfunding, where you not, you're not necessarily leveraged. This might, might be your first time running a business, but, um, you might be doing things in the business that are not the best use of your time and end up sucking your energy out of you. And so this interview is really good uh, when it comes to talking about mindset and really getting to know your strengths as a person and an entrepreneur early stage so that you can properly leverage yourself in your business and so that um, you don't fall into the trap of doing all the wrong things. Um, I guess this could be a really nice segue past the Chris Ducker interview I did a while back, just how to um, onboard your first virtual assistant and how to leverage yourself. But uh, Brad and I talk about exactly what that looks like and how when you aren't in tune with your strengths or what you like or what you don't like, how to properly um, make sure that you are doing what you are really great at and that how you can build your team around your strengths. So it's just a really cool interview. And I, we went on a bit of a tangent from what I wanted the interview to be about, but I actually think that this worked out, um, a lot better because we don't, uh, on the show, we haven't talked a lot about how to overcome a lot of the early, uh, challenges of starting a business, which is what crowdfunding is all about. Like we, uh, we go into a ton of strategy, but then, what about how you get over those mental blocks and deal with the the challenges of like running a business mentally and how you really have to get to know yourself and play to your strengths because what you are doing with crowdfunding is building a business and that's where a lot of entrepreneurs fall short is they don't build the right team um, or they don't leverage their strengths properly and they end up having a horrible time because they hate the fact that all they're doing are spreadsheets versus sales, which is what something you might be good at. So I'm going to stop rambling and you can get into the interview. This is a good one. So 
Pay attention. Brad Hart. Ed, it's so good to talk to you again. How's it going? It's going so well, Kirsten. Thank you so much for having me on the show. And welcome from uh, sunny Florida. I'm here in Deerfield Beach. We're here right next to Boca. Can we just not talk about the weather? It's freezing here. <laughs> I say I really shouldn't be complaining about the weather in Toronto because, to be honest, it's really mild considering we're almost in the middle of December. So, like, we had a ton of rain last night, and it should be snow. And the fact that it's not, I'm quite happy about that. But like, it must be so nice in Florida right now. Yeah, it's gorgeous. If you don't mind that soupy weather with the humidity, it's uh, it's pretty nice. I, I like it's a good break from Denver and Boulder for sure. Where I'm living now. But um, yeah, it's, it's great. I, I love it out here. This is um, my girlfriend's attending Date with Destiny. She's a leadership coordinator over there. She's helping them kind of run the event. Uh, I've been to like nine different Tony events. They're great. I recommend Tony Robbins organization highly, especially if you guys are into like peak performance and business and things along those lines. So highly recommended. Um, the put out a documentary this year called I Am Not Your Guru, which is about that event if you want to get a sense of what it looks like. Yeah, I've been meaning to... Um to check out his, like, I've listened to one of his episodes with Tim Ferriss, but to check out the documentary is on my list. And it's, it's amazing because he was already an icon, but it's amazing to see what he's been able to do, taking his brand to thought leader status, just by some of the more like writing, going into writing books and appearing and I, I don't know he's just done such an amazing job and um it's on my list in 2017 to see an event of his before he stops doing them because that seems to be like where yeah. that really happens i don't see him slowing down i mean he's in great shape he's been doing it for 40 years he loves the energy and he's getting better at, at using that energy wisely mm-hmm. so uh that's what i've noticed over the over the time i've been following him and, you know, if you've done anything for 40 years, you learn some tricks, right? So, for example, he runs two days out of the four of UPW. Uh, that's a big, loud, you know, event where his voice gets shot pretty quickly. Uh, so that's one thing. Uh, the other thing he does is, like, when there's more mellow events, he'll run more of it. Or he'll record some sessions, that stuff that he's done before, and he'll, he'll kind of step off. They give his voice a break because, you know, after 40 years of speaking on stage and yelling and jumping around, you know, it's, uh, it's like gravel now. So he's got to be really careful with how he uses his voice. But um, yeah, I recommend it. I think Tony's a national treasure, honestly. And as far as personal development and peak performance goes, one of the best. I recommend him highly. Uh, and everything he's ever put out has been top notch. Yeah, I mean, we're going to get into this because you run a blog on peak performance, success mindset, all that stuff. Um, but mm-hmm. that's only one yeah. of the facets that you do. Um, it's cool because we, you and I actually started talking because on Facebook you had mentioned, hey, I'm looking for to talk to someone about crowdfunding and you ended up deciding Mm. not to go crowdfunding, but um, actually I'm getting ahead of myself. Why don't we just get into who Brad Hart is and where we can find you online and get into the actual like other stuff. Sure. I'm a guy who decided pretty early on that being uh, an employee wasn't a good fit for me. I've been working, you know, dozens of different jobs since I was like 13 years old. You know, my family grew up on Long Island with, you know, we weren't in poverty, but we, we were very much paycheck to paycheck uh, social security disability. My dad got hurt when I was a little, little kid. He was about two years old. He got hit by a truck. Um, actually, he was driving a truck rather, and and the load shifted and, and kind of pinned him against the steering wheel coming down that hill. So he was disabled for most of his uh, most of his life after that. He had a couple surgeries to get a little bit better, but he never really was back to normal. 
so he couldn't work as a result. It was really difficult. Uh, so, you know, that and my mom having to leave to get a job kind of made me very independent and very like, you know, shirking authority and he couldn't really keep up with me. So I was basically left to raise myself for the most part. Um, but you know, from a young age, if I needed something that was more than just food or a roof over my head, I had to go out and work for it, you know? And I think that was a really good, um, start to life to understand that, listen, you need to go out and make things happen, right? You need to fend for yourself. You need to make sure nothing is handed to you. You know, I remember mowing lawns and just hustling to make money when I was a young kid. So over the years, I had a lot of different jobs and I realized like, okay, you know, there's something to this. And I, and I noticed that, you know, sometimes I would meet kids who had really wealthy parents, but they, they didn't have that kind of fire spark. Like they didn't understand how to create their dreams and make them a reality. So as time went on, I, I started reading more and more about entrepreneurship. I started reading all the famous books, you know, the four work week I read seven times and rich dad, poor dad. And, you know, guys like Richard Branson were really exciting guys that got to travel the world and really see the world, you know, through their eyes and experience things that, you know, I always thought in my heart and my soul that I wanted to experience. So, so that became kind of a driving force for me. Uh, and I got, it, I got it wrong a lot to start. Like I'll give you an example. When I just, when I was 20, one, I just got out of college. I had a degree in biology because so I wanted to be a doctor, right? And in retrospect, it would have been a horrible job fit for my skills and what I know about myself now. But at the time, it seemed like, yeah, it seemed like a great idea, right? Dr. Hart, the cardiologist, it's a great joke. And I'm going to work my butt off for, you know, 10 plus years in order to do that. And being a doctor is great if you really want to help people. But the reality of it is, um, you know, it's a different job than it was sold as. You know, a lot of friends of mine went on that track and, Forty pounds overweight and have a huge amount of debt, and you know their entire twenties was was essentially given over in exchange for a career which might be replaced in a lot of ways by robots and different things over the over the coming years. You know we have surgical robots coming down the pipe. We have better and better diagnostic systems that will continue to I think eke out a lot of the the benefits that doctors currently provide uh, nurses as well, right? Um, it won't happen overnight, but I think that's coming, right? Uh, so, so my thought is, you know, I dodged a bullet there. I ended up needing a job and I, I ended up bartending in New York city for a while. I did okay at that. I made like hundred K in cash that year. And I'm like, you know, my degree is not going to get me a job. You know, my biology degree I had, you know, I probably shotgun my resume to a hundred firms and they were like, yeah, we don't need you. And I'm like, okay, well maybe this is, you know, after being a little despondent and be like, all right, you know, did I just waste all my time and money in college in order to get a piece of paper that would never get me a job? I, I decided to look at it from a different angle. It's like, what can I do, right? What skills do I have? And I started kind of backwards working from this is the lifestyle I want to have based on what I know about life right now. And how can I create that? Which is, you know, in retrospect, a really powerful way to look at the world. It's not like, oh my God, I need to get a job. Oh my God, I need to do this or that or the other thing. I realized, well, there's a lot of things I could do. What are the things that I value and how can I create a lifestyle based on that? So I realized that I didn't want structure. I wanted to be able to choose how I use my time. And one of the most powerful ways to do that that I knew about at the time was to get into real estate. So after I had bartended for a while and did that lifestyle for a while and gotten kind of the partying out of my system, I decided to become a real estate agent in New York City. That actually worked pretty well, right? It was, um, I, I kind of took to it. It was, it was sales, it was marketing. It was all these things that I would learn and, and would become important later but it was also working with people, which I really loved, right? Helping people find a home in New York City, which is a stressful period in their life. It's a difficult thing to do. And they don't make it easy on purpose. 
Um, you know, you're dealing with landlords, you're dealing with competition, you're dealing with a lot of different problems. So helping people navigate that landscape was great. I really took like, you know, to it like a fish to water. Uh, the owners of the company gave me five promotions within two years. I had a team of six people working under me up until 2010 in May when my dad unfortunately passed away. Suddenly I was out to visit my mom. It was Mother's Day. I'll never forget. I was on a train on Long Island on my way out to visit mom. And I get this call from an unknown number and I found out that he passed away from the police. And, and that kind of changed everything. So that was another wake up call in my life where I was like, okay, well, what I'm doing confers certain benefits, but am I playing to the, to the highest level that I can be playing to? And at that stage, I had some money saved and, you know, I, I had some more experience in the belt and decided, okay, what lifestyle could I design that would be free in, in location now, right? Because in this bit, job, I was stuck in New York City. So I decided it would be really cool if I could travel anywhere I wanted and have a business that supported that. So I started trading options and I got a few mentors under my belt and I learned how to do that. Um, and we got pretty good at it. You know, I ended up, uh, you know, I'll leave out a few details, but I think the key details are I went to a networking event, a charity event with Richard Branson. And I was really geeking out at the time about 3D printing. So as he went around the room, shaking hands and asking everybody what he did, what they did, I, I told him about 3D printing. I'm like, I'm really excited about this technology. And I told him all the different things that were going to be happening. This was back in 2011. He had never heard of it before and he was really excited. So I, he said, email me. I said, okay, billionaire investor, Richard Branson, I'll email you. This 25, 26-year-old kid. And I didn't get his email from him. I'm like, oh, I won't, I won't bug him. I'll just get it from his assistant later. Well, guess what? His handlers are paid to keep people like me from reaching out to people like him. So I never actually did get in touch with him at that stage. Um, but you know, it was a good lesson and, and it kind of showed me that I had something there. So I started recommending the stocks and I, I had this article on Forbes, like I read a bunch and, uh, long story short, the stocks went up 10 X from where I was buying them. So it did really well, but I wasn't the only one who did well. My friend calls me up and says, Hey, I paid for my wedding with one of those stock tips. I'm like, that's great. Congratulations. He's like, how do I give you money to manage? I'm like, I don't know. So again, I go back to my smart people. I say, hey, what do you think? You know, this person wants to give me some money. How would I set that up? And he says, well, you start a hedge fund, right? You get this lawyer. We got this accountant. You know, you set it up like this. You do your corporation in Delaware, one in New York. I'm like, uh, I don't need a, a license or a Series 7 to do any of this because I've worked on Wall Street for a little while. You know, just as like a cold call. They stuck me in a room with a telephone and a list of numbers to dial. So I, I thought that's what I needed in order to become a hedge fund manager. But in reality, all you really need is the proper corporate structure, uh, private placement memorandum and the ability to raise money, the capital people that trust you with their money. Mm -hmm. And that's what I had. So I, I made a list of 200 people and, you know, just like my friend, they all put in some money and we ended up raising uh, from 17 people total. And within a year, it's kind of crazy how things happened. Uh, 2013, we did 106% return, which is really fantastic. It was more uh, than I even anticipated was possible. But we were aggressive. We kept our, our, you know, rules rigid and our expectations flexible and we just kept making good bets. And over time we made quite a bit of money. So that was fantastic. What would you Go say ahead. is the industry average for re capital return? Cause you did 106% your first year. What is the average? Yeah. Yeah. So that was my only full year in operations and I'll get to that in a second, but um, that's a unicorn, right? That's somebody that, you know, if you do do that kind of return, you do it like one year out of, out of the whole life of a fund, right? It's, it's yeah. very, unlikely. so just to give you context, the S and P 500 that year did like think 24, 25% uh, overall. So it's quadrupled that a decent hedge fund return 
would be in the 8 to 15% range. And big years are like 30, 40, 50% years. So like we, we yeah. do everything by all, by all estimates. So there was that. Um, there was the fact that, you know, the, the option strategy we were, we were employing was exceptionally risky and aggressive. Um, so it was difficult to, so people who have a lot of money don't want to take a lot of risk, right? If you have $100 million, you have more to lose than the gain, right? So you're not going to take huge bets on the upside, you know, taking risky bets. So it was very difficult for me to raise the tens of millions of dollars I wanted to raise in order to grow the fund. That was one thing. Uh, second thing was I was trying to do everything myself, which is burning me out very quickly. Um, you know, 16, 18 hour days. And the third thing was I was really happy with the result and I satisfied my ego around it. Right. We had like a, a really big month and I'm like, Oh, this money thing is never going to make me happy. Right. Because no matter how much money I make, it doesn't really meet my needs in the way that I need it to meet. And you may be listening at home and saying to yourself, Oh, what is this asshole? No, like he, he's got a ton of money. But I realized like, I grew up poor, I've been broke, I've been in debt, and I've made a lot of money in a short amount of time. So I realized I had the foresight to just kind of pull myself back out of it, emotionally check in with myself and be like, is this a hole I can ever fill? Will this ever make me truly happy? And the answer to that, if you know it, you know where I'm going with this, is no, right? There's the science of achievement. You can achieve and make money, but there's also the art of fulfillment. And it's an art because it's different for everybody. So I had to reestablish who I was and understand what I was best at and how I could best add value to the world and light myself up in the process and live in flow in the process. What was, you make a bunch of money and you're in this dream position where you're running an amazing hedge fund with an amazing network and this has the potential to do so much. What is it about the hedge fund that didn't fulfill you? that you realized you had to find? Yeah. So I think it came down to a couple factors, right? I'm extroverted. I love people sitting behind a computer with numbers and spreadsheets in front of me was not exciting. Right. After a while, it just burned on me and grinded on me and I would get stressed out. And it was just, you know, some, some people are great at that, right? That's what puts them in flow. They love it. They thrive in that environment. I love people. I love being around people. I love connecting with people. I love talking to people. And that is a better fit for me. What I really loved about it was being able to build the relationships, right? And talk to the people and write the newsletters and things like that. So that part of it, I could have continued to do. But the daily management operations and the legal stuff and the accounting stuff, while I had help, it was more like a one-person shop where I kind of contracted out certain pieces. And it just got to be where I was like, I had five full-time jobs running this fund, not enough capital to really take it to the next level. Uh, I was getting a lot of resistance from the wealthy players that I really wanted to invest big numbers in, as, as I mentioned with the risk thing. And it was just like, at this stage, I can, I can exit the stage left, I can go out on top and you know, figure something out that's a better fit for me. And also, I was, I was dependent on a time zone, right? I had to trade New York hours. I didn't really understand the Asian markets. I wasn't going to start hopping around to the different markets. So it really restricted my travel as well, right? And you have people constantly expecting you to be trading and investing. So there was a lot of factors. And at the end of the day, I think it was the right decision for me. You know, and, and that taught me a big lesson too, is just because you, uh, you do something with the best intentions or you do something because you have an ego about it, or you do something because it was your goal at one time, well, you may learn things in the process of achieving that you, you need to consider, right? If you get signals back from the world and the universe, even if they're successful by anybody else's measures, you have to decide whether it's the right path for you, right? Because ultimately, I think we're here to do a very specific thing, right? We are very unique. Each one of us has very unique experiences and talents and, 
and unique abilities that if we let atrophy, we will never achieve as much as we possibly can or be fulfilled as much as possibly can be fulfilled. We won't touch an impact number of lives. So I could have spent more time getting a very small number of people richer, or I can reevaluate my life goals and decide to prioritize impact of more people, which is why I do more speaking. I do more podcasts. I do more articles, blogging. I've got make more marbles, which is great. That's all about eliminating scarcity and creating abundance in various areas of your life. I've got market course, which helps people reach more um, with their, you know, more people with their message and their online courses. Uh, you know, and, and these businesses may not be as sexy or cool as like the New York hedge fund lifestyle was, but I kind of, I was over that, right? I had done it and it wasn't for me and I moved on from it. What would you say, like, so I feel that before somebody launches a crowdfunding campaign and I speak to physical product owners that are looking to create a business out of this, you have this cool item that you want to bring online and then you're halfway through the process or you raise a million dollars and now you have mm-hmm. a business. What do you do if, because you, I feel that people may know what kind of life they want prior to crowdfunding, but then actually getting into running that first business they realize in the process there is a lot that they hate they maybe for them it's like they really hate email support and they're not well leveraged and they're doing things in the business that they shouldn't be doing and it ends up instead of them fulfilling their potential as an entrepreneur they may decide because they're not well leveraged or they have no understanding of how what they should be doing in the business and what they need to get someone else to do um like because in crowdfunding you make a promise to hundreds of backers and you can't just close down shop like you close down right. shop and you let down a bunch of investors that otherwise may have made tons of money with you long term so with crowdfunding you're kind of stuck in seeing it through to the end which may be a two to three year process so what would you say to an entrepreneur who maybe stuck realized that they've crowdfunded this thing and they either really hate it or they hate aspects of running the business and they don't know what they need to do to make sure that they're doing the thing that they need to be doing? Yeah, and, and it's a great question. And I think uh, 2012, 2013, Brad would have had a different answer than 2017, Brad. Uh, you know, I know a lot more than I did the back then. I've had a lot of experience now coaching and working with startups and consulting and, and doing different things that were outside of my little bubble and understanding better how different types of people approach different situations. So that's a very valuable thing to know is like, who are you and what are you good at? And that's not an arbitrary thing anymore. There's actually a lot of great science around flow and what puts people in the flow, what type of personalities are best for certain jobs. So what I recommend everybody do and I can share a link to this. I'll just uh, send that over to you. It's called the Wealth Dynamics Test. And it will help you to get a sense of who you are as an entrepreneur. And it prompts out a 38-page report that gives you a really good baseline of, okay, these are your skills. These are things you'd be great at. These are the people you should partner up with. And it, unlike kind of like a Myers-Briggs, where it's like, oh, you're an ENTJ and whatever the hell that means. It gives you a really good step-by-step framework along with uh he wrote a book also roger james hamilton he's an australian um wealth coach he's great uh he has a book called millionaire master plan which gives you step-by-step instructions very simple common day language here focus on these three things until you get to the next level and now you're at this level focus on these three things to get to the next level and it gives you really really key pertinent advice and i think wealth dynamics uh, along with that book which you don't have to read the whole thing you just read your chapter you know and wherever you're at and then go to the next one more like a choose your own adventure and entrepreneurship book, I think is one of the best tools. I use it with all my clients. I recommend it highly. 
And I'll send you a link to that right now. Yeah, and, I'll put that link in the show uh, notes yeah. as well. Yeah, it's really great. I just I recommend everybody does it. It's a hundred bucks, but it's the best hundred bucks you're going to spend. And as a bonus for your listeners, if anybody does the test and wants to send me their results, I'd be happy to spend a couple minutes unpacking it with them on the phone, and so they can get the most value out of it in their business. And um, you know, give my specific recommendations because now there's eight profile types. I've worked with all of them in varying different capacities. I know exactly what. Um, they're great at what they suck at and I know who to partner with to balance them out. Right. So I'm a supporter profile, which is the highly extroverted leadership type. Right. Mm-hmm. But I get bogged down and the numbers and the spreadsheets, it's not the greatest thing. Right. So I'd be really good at like generating new business and sales and marketing. I'd be really good at leading teams. I'd be really good at connecting with people one-on-one coaching, consulting, that type of thing. But I'd really fall down if it came down to like, Oh, I got to go create spreadsheets or, Oh, I got to go and, you know, create this new product line or, Oh, I got to go and, you know, manage customer service calls. Like you mentioned, like that would not be within my strengths, but there's somebody else, maybe a tempo or a steel or a dynamo energy who's going to have that like unlock and it's going to light them up and they're going to get in flow. And if everybody on the team can spend more time in their flow, everybody does better as a result. Does that make sense? Oh yeah. hundred percent. Hey, just want to say thank you to the guys over at Backerkit for sponsoring this episode. Um, if you are looking to fulfill a product, which, hey, if you're running a crowdfunding campaign, you generally are, uh, they work with digital products and physical products as a fulfillment software service to help you manage any changes of in customer information, upsells, downsells, um, you name it, they help you keep that organized. And trust me when I say that you're going to screw up some orders if you are managing by spreadsheet. Um, and that is not what you should be doing. As soon as your campaign wraps up, you need to focus on getting the prototyping and the manufacturing set and looking at go-to-market strategy and sales, launching on Amazon, all that stuff. And you should not be buried deep in customer data and fulfillment and logistics because frankly, there is a better way and it's BackerKit. So BackerKit was actually founded by a frustrated creator who, at the time, uh, there were no options for fulfillment software, and so he created it, and that is BackerKit. So to find out more, head over to BackerKit.com, and they have a special promo for Uncut listeners, which is you guys. And that code, if you just go to checkout, is Uncut, U-N-C-U-T, and they're giving you 50% off of their... um, their setup fee, which is a pretty fantastic deal. And the guys are awesome. So if you're listening, hello. And again, backerkit.com. Well, let's get back to the episode. So how can people get in contact with you? So I'm pretty easy to find. You can check out my blog. It's makemoremarbles.com. You can uh, pop me an email, uh, brad at makemoremarbles. You can hit me up on Facebook, facebook.com slash bradhart, uh, B-R-A-D-H-A-R-T. Um, you know, I'm easy, you know, I'm, I'm Googleable. You can check out my different work. I've done in Forbes entrepreneur. Um, yeah, I'm around. I have a pretty common name, but I'm easy enough to find. And, um, I'm, yeah, I'm happy to help support and serve entrepreneurs and, you know, I'm not, I'm, I'm kind of at the stage of my career where it's like, all right, cool. I've, I've done enough stuff and I've seen enough things. I can kind of quickly gauge and assess where people are at mm-hmm. and give them some recommendations on how to next move forward right i have this kind of i don't know if it's a superpower or not but i can hear what people say and what people are telling me and work my way back to like okay what must they they believe in order to say or do or think that so that we can begin to work on the belief from which everything comes out of so so beliefs lead to thoughts lead to feelings lead to actions lead to habits which create ultimately your 
your reality, right? Your destiny. And as creators, we get stuck in what is, and we can't see what could be if we worked our way back and changed some of the beliefs around that, that got us to where we are, right? We, we can't really take it out and say, hey, what are the belief structures? Like we're too, we get caught up, right? We don't realize that it's the things that we believe, the software, if you will, that is changing the, 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 the output. And if we can just yeah. change the input, we can change the output. Like one of, uh, of a great example of that, it will be leading in with another podcast with this, but like when I sit down with creators, um, because I, I manage projects and when I get a project come across my table that I think has the potential to do a quarter million dollars or more, um, there's two kinds of founders I see. They're the ones that see the potential and they're already tapping into their network to find angel investment and to find funds that they need to help make sure they give their project the best chance of success. Because unfortunately, you need cash flow to bring certain products and have bigger launches just in ad spend and getting your team and stuff. So they're the ones that are like, great, I recognize that I have an amazing product and I'm going to be resourceful. And I believe that I can make this thing happen. And I believe that having raised a hundred mil, a hundred thousand or more is possible for me. So they do what they can and they really can build that amazing business. But then you get the creators who have an amazing product and when I tell them they need to find twenty to fifty thousand dollars for a launch for ads and whatever, they look at me like I'm crazy. And there's no way they can get that. And I'm like, well, I see potential in like, okay, this you want to raise two hundred and fifty thousand dollars, but you don't think it's possible for you to get investment yet you believe in your product. Like, there's such a, a big disconnect there. So, I love to like. I don't know if this is going to turn into a mindset podcast, but like, how would you handle that? If you were in my situation and you have the founder who has this like amazing gadget, but they're, they're like, I can't get investment, which is BS because you can get investment. Of course. Yeah. So knowing who that person is and what they're great at already, like if you're describing probably a mechanic or creator, right? We talked about wealth dynamic. Those are people who are very like, okay, I got this cool thing and I'm, I'm good at starting things and, and I have great ideas, but like putting all the other pieces of the puzzle together is very difficult for me or I don't believe in myself or whatever it is. So partnering up with somebody kind of with my personality would be a good step, right? Or conversely, is just living in that excitement and letting the other pieces fall in place. What I mean by that is just having enough conversations with people where you know you can just consistently be putting that out into the into the world and, and saying, hey, this is what I need, and just kind of like manifesting it through your speech, if you will. That's one way to go after it. Uh, you know, but but really it's just like what I would do and being good at this is make a list of everybody you know who has money that's investable capital. Right? Explain the risks appropriately. Like when I raised money for my hedge fund, I had a conversation that went like this with every single one of my investors. I said, on the scale of one to ten. What I'm doing is a nine out of 10 in the risk, right? The only thing I could do that is riskier for context is trade futures and big options contracts and sell options. Like trading options is very risky. I will only want you to give us money that you could afford to lose all of, right? This is not your college funds for your kids. This is not your mortgage payment. This is not your grocery money. This is only money that you have in excess of what you need to survive. And you want to, in, in adding high risk, high return possibility to your profile, to your portfolio and diversify your other things. That's not my job. I'm just telling you to, to do that. Right. So, you know, whatever you're pitching or whatever you want people to invest in, 
I don't look at it as like one conversation as a failure, right? Or, or a success. I look at it as like, okay, I'm going to have 200 conversations around this. And I'm going to make a list of everybody who possibly could. And then you kind of just start, right? You just have a conversation and you get some feedback, right? You ask people like, you know, if you were going to do this, what would be a great, you know, what would be the thing that would, that would make it a win for you or, or a hell yes for you, right? Uh, and then eludicating that, you can begin to refine your process over time. So each additional conversation, you gain new information, new feedback, you roll it into your next pitch, your next pitch, your next pitch. People get really hung up on like, I can't do things because they failed once, right? And they tried twice. And, and then, oh, I can't do that, right? It's like, I had to have 500 conversations to start my hedge fund, at least 500 conversations. When you consider all the different phone calls I had to have uh, with setting all the different pieces up, with lawyers, with accountants, with mentors, with my investors, with people who you know were never going to invest, but I learned key pieces of information from because my pitch was off and they pointed it out to me like, hey, this is not for me, but you're doing X, Y, and Z wrong. If you want to raise money, I would, I would picture, you know, and just take your ego out of the equation and just think, okay, this is really valuable feedback. And it's not just one person's feedback. If you're hearing these things time and time and time again, well, then that would be great. And another thing you could do is, is hire a consultant, right? If you're not great at PR and sales and marketing, guess what? You don't have to do that, right? If somebody believes in your product enough, they may work on spec, right? If they have a good uh, track record, you may be able to pay them as a result of what they produce, right? So get out of the sense of you need to do everything and just focus more on like these, these are all the things that need to get done for this to be a successful project, right? We need to raise money. We need to create the product. We need to set up the supply chain. We need to raise money on Kickstarter. We need a good video. These are all the things that need to get done. And then focus on the ones that you're good at yourself and find people through recommendations or a network or somebody like me who can help plug you in the other pieces, right? And then the referrals make everybody happy. The team is in flow. Everything is just working. And none of the bits and pieces that need to happen, you know, fail, right? Because ultimately, it doesn't matter if you're bad at five parts of a business. If you're good at two, and you can get people to come along with you on the others, that's great, right? And, you know, as far as raising money, like 20 grand, 50 grand, it's so easy to find these days. It really is. You can throw it on a credit card. You know, it's like, it's not, it's, and if you, if you really believe in your idea and you got to do it and you think you could at least break even on it, I think it's worth a shot, right? You got to bet on yourself at the end of the day because you never know what could be the next big thing. It's true. And going into, just going back to the conversation, um, that's one of the first steps I get my clients to do when we get a new product. We are really guessing what the customer motivations are to buy it and positioning and stuff. And then we have to go validate the, the angle. And so I would get them to do customer interviews to identify who we think is going to buy this and talk to them about what their current issues are with the industry. And, you know, you just really dig in to see how we can really solve a unique need. Um, but going into where you make a list of 200 people in your network with money, uh, you talk about conversation versus a pitch. Like if you, is there a certain sales cycle you have with that? Or do you go in with a full pitch to a coffee shop first time meeting with this investor? Like, can you walk me through that process a little bit? Yeah. So for me, I would never pitch anybody that I have a really, that I don't have a really good idea, like that we have a good relationship that wouldn't be damaged by that. So like pitching too early is probably the number one mistake that people make, right? Anytime I meet somebody new that I want to form a relationship with, I just focus on adding value. I just listen. 
I try to learn. I, I ask them like questions like, how can I serve and support you? What are you working on right now? What's your mission? What's your goal? What's standing in your way? What's your biggest pain point right now? All these different things just to alleviate something that I might be able to add value to, right? It could be a link, a book, a resource, a connection, just some way where I can add value. And then I leave it alone, right? It's not ready yet. You're not ready to pitch that person on anything until they see that you're not a needy, selfish jerk who is only thinking about what they need. They're not going to help you anyway. So it's not worth pitching because that's, you know, gonna, that's gonna double your rejection rate right there, right? It's just people that don't know you. They don't like you. They don't trust you yet. And they just need time, right? And when you've shown them for a long enough time that you're, you're an okay dude or girl and you're just going to help and, and be cool, they'll be happy to help you if you need something. So it's like always doing that and building those relationships and having those people kind of just like, you know, nurturing those relationships over time. And then when time comes to, to launch something, hopefully you've done enough of that where it's easy to say, oh, well, I have easily two or 300 people you know, that, that I could call on and we have some established relationship where I've added value to their lives in a, in a distinct way. And it's not like, then you don't approach them and be like, Oh, remember that time I did this for you? You just say, Hey, listen, um, I need your advice. on something. This is what I'm trying to do. Here's where I'm at. This is what I've got so far. This is what I still need. Um, you know, do you have anybody who, you know, do you have any advice for me? Do you have anybody that might be able to help with this? And you don't put it on them. You just ask them for advice or help or connections, right? Do you know anybody? What, could you recommend anybody? Could you refer me to somebody? And let them think, it's not about what's on them or what they can do. Let them think kind of creatively about what it could be and just shut up for a while and let them think about it, right? And then maybe they'll say, oh yeah, I've got my friend Kirsten. She's great at Kickstarter. Why don't you talk to her? Awesome, make the connection, done, right? Or, uh, you know, I've got this person who's great in PR or this firm is really great. We hired them for our thing. Or they may say, yeah, that's me. I can help you but you never put it on them because then there's no like friction. Right. So that's one thing. Uh, another thing is like, I, I take everything as feedback. Right. And I try to just emote, right. I just try to like emotionally be open to what they're feeling and what they're saying and what the reasons behind what they're feeling and saying are. So that allows me to better position myself that conversation. Cause you can pivot during conversation if it's going not the right way or the next conversation that I have. And it really just becomes conversational, right? And, and sales shouldn't be, hey, buy my stuff or here's my product or service and jam it down people's throats. Sales should, sales should only occur at the end of a cycle where you've asked the right questions and learned exactly what people need, want, and desire. And when you're really clear on that, you've got it really specific, then you can start asking questions on the, on the level of, okay, great. Well, you know, if we were to not talk again for six months, what progress or results would make you really happy to see? Right. And then they, they kind of say, well, it'd be really great if I had this or that, the other thing. And then you can start to match those pieces up, either things that you provide or somebody else provides. And you can ask questions like, Hey, you know, um, knowing that you want this and knowing yourself better than anybody else knows you, what type of tools and resources and support would you need in order to make that those goals that you just talked about a reality, right? That's six months from now. And they'll say, Oh, well, you know, it'd be great to have this, that, and the other thing. Cool. You know, and then it becomes a question of, I'm, I know I'm offering the right thing or referring the right person and adding the right value because this is what they've just told you. You don't have to be a mind reader. You don't have to be a salesperson. You just have to know how to ask the right question and actually listen to what they're saying in order to get that. So, so every conversation is not, it's not, I don't go into any conversation thinking I have to do this or, or push this agenda forward. I go into every conversation 
to understand what people need, want, and desire so that I can add value to their lives. And it doesn't have to be me. It doesn't have to be, you know, something super cool that Brad Hart's great at because I know somebody or I can ask somebody, right? Or I can recommend a book I read, right? I'm always collecting opportunities for other people. And as a function of my connective spirit and my, my abundance mentality, which I've worked on a lot, it becomes an opportunity to add value at every, every step of the way. So when I need things, it's pretty much a, a, a foregone conclusion that they show up. When I put that post on Facebook, for example, this is a great example, the one you responded to and how we got connected. It was about Kickstarter. I was thinking about running a Kickstarter campaign. No less than 25 people reached out and said, Brad, I'd be happy to help. Here's a person. There's a person. These are the greatest people. And multiple people were recommended multiple times. It would be pretty easy to find exactly what I needed in that place. And I'm not coming from a place of scarcity where I can now make better deals because I don't have to like, you know, worry about one person not being the right fit, right? There's enough demands to work with me now and the power structure has shifted. But the only way to do that is to be influential and to continue to add value and nurture relationships, which is the stuff that happens behind the scenes that nobody seems to know about or care about or be willing to do on their own. Yeah. I, guess, I hope that's helpful. It is. Um, I remember like, Oops, shifted the uh, camera here. Like, okay, when I first started with networking, the idea, everyone's like, just try to help people, don't pitch. That idea, because I'm very systems focused and like how I think is very, like step one, two, three, um, I had a really hard time understanding exactly, like, so what, I'm just supposed to talk to someone and ask them some weird questions to find out how I can help them. And then somewhere along the way, <laughs> this shift where I don't, like, the way I sell, I don't sell the way I used to when I was running a painting company, like, where everything was transactional, like, somewhere along the way, I changed to the kind of networking that you're really good at, which is just talking to people and seeing how you can help them, because it just, like, comes up in conversation naturally. Um, yeah. I think that you've gone through this transition too by working on yourself, but this hasn't happened for me until I like, I don't know if it's maturity or just what it is, but like if someone is where we used to be, which is like not very good at, or they don't think they're good at networking and they don't really know how to get started with the naturally being able to help people pay it forward um, and have a great relationship with key players. Where's a really good place to start? start that development yeah i think it's just about changing your mind at first right just believing that it's possible to do it a different way right and, and believing that it's possible to get results that are more than you ever anticipated and to stop worrying about what you're going to get or how it's going to work out and just let kind of like to be a little woo-woo let the universe handle it and just keep being a good person, right? And keep doing what I just described is like helping people and helping people and helping people. And the more you give, the more opportunity flows in your life to, to get, right? And, uh, you know, I, it's really hard in life to connect the dots looking forward. You can't really, like we can't see the future. We can't see like what this good deed is going to blossom into later on down the road. We just have to trust that it is going to. And that the culmination of all our good deeds and good acts and good thoughts and good vibes and good, you know, putting our best foot forward and trying to treat everybody well and trying to leave people better off than we found them at all times is a cumulative effect. So that when we look back, it starts to reinforce itself. You realize that, oh, if I had never done X, I would have never got Y or this opportunity or that opportunity. Or if I had never taken this chance or if I had never helped that person, this would have never came into my life, right? And it, 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 you start to realize it's less about 
trying to connect the dots looking forward and just realize or looking backwards or, 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 you know, understanding that, but, but it's more about this is the way I'm going to be and the way I'm going to show up. And it's going to reinforce itself positively as the results come in over time. But you have to kind of have a cognitive trust or dissonance or faith, if you will, that it will continue to work out. And I can say it because I have thousands and thousands and thousands of examples of it. So I know it to be true. And I know that's the best way to go about life, at least for me. And I'm always learning little nuances and tricks as I go along. But, you know, don't compare me to your chapter two or chapter three, right? I'm on chapter 20, right? So I guess anybody who's like, just trust that it is possible. And if that's your strength, I'd say develop it. If not, partner with somebody and add value to them in another way, right? Because, you know, I can't develop software. I'm not a coder. I don't, I can't run marketing campaigns. You know, so I can do it, but I can't like dump do the Facebook ads. Like there's so many ways to add value to somebody like me who's developed this skill set where we can partner up too. It's not like you have to do everything. Um, so, so if it's not going to be you, if that's what you're not going to develop, that's cool too. Uh, but I recommend that you, you connect to somebody like that because one, one good connector in your life can change everything. Oh, I agree. No, it's so true. Um, it's really funny cause, uh, I intentionally don't script interviews because I like to see where the conversation goes naturally. And because of your investment background, running a hedge fund, um, and your belief in working on mindset to read results like it was I didn't really have an angle going into this and I think I remember uh I had mentioned to you like oh we're going to talk about what makes a good investment and where you see kickstarter going and all this stuff but it's like it's actually really cool to see where the conversation has gone because we um I really look at crowdfunding not as a one-time pony like it is something that you have to create a business and this thing can change your life but you've got to make sure it's the right thing for you and set yourself mm-hmm. Up properly just in knowing yourself and leveraging yourself um right. it's been really really interesting to get into like how you've dealt with that and and stuff in your life yeah so kickstarter really is just a kind of a scaled up version of what i've been talking about right it's building relationships with now not you know just the number of people you can talk to one-on-one it's building relationships and and enrolling people into the story of what you want this product to be or the service to be and how you want it to change the world and using video and audio and posts and PR firms and marketing and, and all different types of tools in order to do the thing that I'm talking about at scale, mm-hmm. right? Value to people's lives, get the feedback, continue to refine and iterate and make a product or service or offering that will continue to add value to people's lives and solve their problems for a very long time. So, you know, the hard work is really, truly understanding what people want, need, and desire and providing for them. The easy work is then the scale. Mm-hmm. Everybody sees the scale, the million-dollar campaigns, and they get really excited about the result, but they didn't see all the background that went into it. They didn't see the countless conversations and feedback and surveys and forums, just every way that they leverage and, and figure out what do people really want, need, and desire all the feedback, all the product testers, all the beta launches, all the different things, all the prototypes, they don't see all that. But it's really the, the key component that determines whether you're going to be successful or not way before any of this other stuff happens. Yeah. Oh, well said. So glad we connected. This has been fantastic. Um, and, and this is the kind of stuff like I wish that somebody would have just sat down and told me about. Like, get the little simple things that don't scale right, and then the scale will come. 
Yeah, because I'm currently going through this in my business, like learning, because I've been an entrepreneur for 10 years, but the kind of business I'm running now is very different to the offline business I ran for seven years. And so I, I am relearning a lot of my tendency as an entrepreneur and figuring out, I don't know, I'm stubborn and I learn by falling down several times. So like what I'm going through right now with my coach is really learning what my skill, what the zone of genius is and figuring out how to make sure I'm only doing that work and not getting stuck in spreadsheets, which, um, you know, really does put a damper on your happiness, your productivity, your overall ability to like your business and scale it. So Mm. it's like, yeah. Yeah, And I think that's the number one thing, right? If you can live, in your flow, Kirsten, and do what lights Kirsten up, it's not going to be work anymore. You're going to be excited to wake up in the morning. You're going to be excited to do what you do for a living. You're going to be excited when you go to bed at night. You're going to want to wake up and do it all over again. It's not going to be a grind. It's not going to be heavy. You can just put down all that other stuff that's just not really doing it for you and focus on the things that you love and then surround yourself with people who are really great at the things that you put down. Yeah. And they pick them up. Oh my God, I'm so excited. I get to do X, right? Because you put it down and let them do it. And it's not even about what I like, but I look at um, my, because I pride myself in having great customer service and clients that love me and want to recommend our service. I can't have that if I'm not providing the very service I'm very good at, which is high level advising and strategy. If I'm, they're not paying me to make a landing page. They're paying me to provide the high level strategy while I get someone else to do a landing page, you know, or whatever that looks like. So I'm actually providing a disservice to everyone else around me by not knowing where my zone is genius is and like working within that. So. Totally. Which is awesome. Um, so I have a great resource for your audience. If you're interested, uh, you know, this might be really helpful. It's just, a, it's basically like a script or a list of questions that I use to kind of help draw out more information from people, especially when you're building a product or marketing campaign and really understanding better than people can even articulate themselves using the language that they use and what, what keeps them up at night and just different questions that, you know, may sound a little bit weird at first, but they get really great answers. If you learn how to just ask the question and shut up and listen, you'll get some amazing insights from people. And I think it's a really valuable thing. So I'm going to, I'm going to, it's yeah. just a Google doc. It's not polished or anything, but you're welcome to, welcome to share that with whoever wants it. And then as I said, you know, I'm, I'm if anybody's like, wow, this guy really, you know, has something I need or, you know, he's, he's making a lot of sense here or whatever that is. I'm just, I'm so happy to help, you know, um, be kind of a pivot point, right? Like if somebody tells me something and they need this and like, I've seen it before, I'm happy to, you know, put you off into whatever direction I think is the best direction. Whether it's working with me or not, like I have no attachment to it anymore. I've just, I've kind of gotten to a point in my life where it's like, I know what I can do really well and I know where I can add the most value and I know when to like pass it off to the next person who can do really well at whatever is you know the other thing love it all right i'll make sure there's access to that in the show notes apart from that um again people can find you at makemoremarbles.com mm-hmm. and uh do you have any other famous last words before we wrap this up uh yeah famous last words hopefully these won't be my my last famous words but um you guys just you know the journey inward is the journey outward anything that you want to create in the world has to start with you shifting what you're currently doing and what beliefs you have about it because ultimately your beliefs create your thoughts, create your actions, create your feelings, create your habits, you know, create your life, right? And the reality that you currently occupy is the result of all the beliefs that you've had up until this point. 
So in order to have a different reality, you really just need to start with the beliefs. So, so spend some time getting really clear on what you believe, why you believe it, and, and start to get, you know, become a scientist of these things. Like, make little experiments. Go, you know, picture it as like a big closet, right? And you have all these beliefs that you could wear, right? You could put on the scarf, this hat, all these different beliefs you could try on for a day or two and see how your life changes, right? Maybe it takes a week or two to see the results. But, you know, put it on, try it on, see if it's a better belief. If it works better for you and serves you better and it creates the reality you want to live in, awesome. Stick with it. If not, try on something else. All right, but it's never static, right? We're always growing, we're always learning, we're always getting feedback from the world. And uh, through the, the course of doing this, you can create a really special life, you know? And, and just to kind of put a bow on the story, I'm able to travel from anywhere, I'm able to work with people from all over the world. I spent time in Portugal, Spain, France, uh, New Zealand, Australia. I, I spend you know, half my time on the road, I love it. I get to live wherever I want and it's a beautiful life. And I, I don't need to be wealthy in order to do that monetarily. Like I've figured it out the point where it works for me, right? And I don't need $20 million or $50 million. Most people, it turns out, can do much more than they think they can, provided they focus on and value the things that they value. Well said. All right, well, this has been great. So thanks so much for coming on the show. Thank you, Kirsten. And I'm really looking forward to to meeting anybody that you think would be a good fit um, to, to talk to and help their business grow. Absolutely. All right, guys. Well, that wraps it up. Um, please do see the resources in the show notes um, as well. I really need to get a link up to those show notes that are easy for you, but we'll do in that next episode. Um, if you are in the process of planning your Kickstarter campaign, be sure to check out crowdfundinguncut.com. We have a physical product launch checklist that will outline the exact system I've created to help me raise more than one and a half million dollars through several campaigns. And um, apart from that, we love you. And if you're digging the show, please do go to iTunes and give us a honest review. It does help the show get found. Again, I'm Kirsten at crowdfundinguncut.com. Thank you. Are you launching a product on either Kickstarter or Shopify and you're feeling completely overwhelmed with the process? Hi there, my name is Kirsten, the CEO of Launch and Scale. To date, we've helped several online sellers sell millions of dollars online and scale their business from zero to seven figures by focusing on building an audience of fans that will actually convert into paying customers. If you're serious about building a seven-figure e-commerce brand with less time and less risk, you should check out our product launch pad. PLP is a proven accelerator that takes you step-by-step through the process of launching and scaling your product brand. Brands like the Monk Manual, Aberlite, Series Chill, Jamstack, and several others were all launched using our product launch pad. So if you'd like to be our next success story, go to launchandscale.co slash PLP to learn more. And for a limited time, we're offering a seven-day trial of the product launch pad for only $1. Again, go to launchandscale.co slash PLP to learn more.